<laughs> Come. No. Oh, it's good. Thank you for that little bit of extra time. I didn't pay him to say any of that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I just felt like the Lord was beginning to uh, reveal something to me. I, I had this bizarre dream last night and um, where I had this scripture given to me and um, I, I didn't kind of make any sense of it. I, did, I couldn't understand, but I, I, in fact, I felt kind of a little bit anxious that I needed to remember this scripture that was coming up, and it was from um, Revelation. I didn't know what was in it. I didn't know what it contained in it, um, but I knew I had to remember it, and I did remember it as I got up, and it was from Revelation, Revelation 2 and verse 10, and, and it, was, it was all about, I mean, you, you can look at it if you want, but it's all about, um, in fact, let's have a look at it. Just remember Acts 16, because I've just found that, and I'm going to lose it again. Acts 16, that's where we're going back. So Revelation 2, verse 10. Now, don't, don't read too much into this, okay? Because I feel it is speaking a little context into some of the things that are going on at the moment. But the actual scripture says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. And you will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. And um, I just, it, the Lord really kind of began to kind of shake something within me as I, as I had this scripture. And I, I've just begun to understand as we were worshipping, because the Lord then took me to Acts 16, and, um, which of course is the story of Paul and Silas. And how they were thrown into prison, you know. And um, in fact, let's just let's just read a bit of it so that we know. Um, so it says that um, Paul and Silas travelled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Uh, coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. Oh, this is a complicated one. Uh, Acts 16, 6-ish. Uh-huh. And, uh, hang on, let me just, I think I'm a little bit behind where I am. So let's go down to 13. Yeah, 13, let's go from 13. On a, on a Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank and we thought uh, people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some woman who had gathered there. I'm having trouble keeping on the line. There's too much text. So, uh, and she, she was baptized along with other members of her household. And she asked us to be our guests. And if you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And we agreed. Now, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl, and she was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her makers, her masters. Um, She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching us customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and, what, and then they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and chains of every prisoner fell off. 
The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and assumed the prisoners had escaped and he drew him sword, drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling between Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in the household. And even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And everyone in the household was immediately baptized. That's how quickly you can get baptized, by the way. So if you've been, if you've been putting it off, immediately is okay. But, <clears throat> you know... It, it suddenly struck me about, because when I first read that uh, scripture this morning from Revelation, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, some, someone's going to be thrown in prison. But then I realized that some of the things that people have been going through and the tests that they've had, do you, do you remember from Revelation, it says the devil wants to throw you into prison to test you, okay? And it is like a, a sort of a testing and now. That was a, a physical prison that they were talking about, and this was a physical prison with Paul and Silas. But quite often what is spoken about in the physical has a spiritual representation for us. And I believe that there are a number of people that are in a kind of prison, in a type of prison, and have got like stuck and can't get out. It's a painful experience. It is... Um, you know, they feel like they've been beaten with wooden rods and thrown in the deepest, darkest, most central prison. And it's like a real battle that's, that's been going on. But Paul and Silas, their response to the situation, instead of kind of moaning, instead of gossiping to each other and complaining, instead of like appealing to the legal system, their response in it all was to fix their eyes upon Jesus, the, the person who had initiated their call and sent them into the land. They looked to him and they began to pray and they began to worship. There's actually not many references in the New Testament to people worshipping. I think there's the one in the upper room where it says they, they sang some hymns just before Pentecost and then Paul and Silas were singing in uh, in prison, and uh, but beyond that, it's quite curious. It's such a major part of like our worship, but it's not actually mentioned that much in the New Testament. Lots in the Old Testament, of course, and it all sort of carries through the cross. But that was their response, and this is a particular situation where that response of their heart in their deepest, darkest midnight hour. They decided to turn their eyes upon Jesus and worship him. And, you know, I don't know what it was like. I think probably there may be a number of other prisoners in that prison who were probably very irritated by the process because it was the middle of the night. These guys were in there and they're singing songs, you know, and probably everyone else is trying to get some sleep or something. Uh, but the result in it is, and I... I heard a guy years and years ago, who's heard of Rick Godwin? A long time ago, about the Eagle's Nest in San Antonio, Texas. But he's a great guy and had a big influence on us in the early days. But he said, I could just like to imagine that that situation. There's Paul and Silas kind of getting going with the praise and worship in the prison. And God's sitting up there and thinking, well, I'm getting with the beat here. And starts tapping his foot on on the throne which immediately sent an earthquake through the whole of the thing and threw all the prison doors open. Okay, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but it's quite, it's quite a fun way of thinking about it, of, of like God getting along with the praise and worship offered in a place of sacrifice, you know, where really they had every single excuse not to do it. They had every justification for having a day off for deciding not to go to church that day, for doing whatever, whatever it was, because they were in a bad way and they needed some attention, they needed some care. But their response of their heart 
was to give praise to the living God because they knew that is where their source was. That, that was where their solution was. That is where the, the answers to anything came. It looked pretty bleak. On the surface, there was no kind of viable signs that they were going to get released anytime soon. It looked pretty bad, but they still chose to worship. And I've said this probably for the last few times that I've spoken, that, you know, when you're in that place, when you are in the place of difficulty, when you're in that place of being tested, you have a unique opportunity to offer a sacrifice of praise. Completely unique, because when everything's going well, you can't do it. It doesn't exist. You know, yeah, it's good to praise God anytime. It's good to praise God and lift up the name of Jesus anytime, any day, whether things are going good or bad. But when things are going bad, suddenly it gets converted into a sacrifice of praise because it costs, because you don't feel like it, and because it is actually costing something for you to give it. But in that place, I think the answers begin to come. And so uh, what, actually what I felt like the Lord began to talk to me about today, um, and I apologise, I apologise up front because I can only ever speak out of where I am myself. And I, things are still kind of quite tough, okay? But he spoke to me about endurance this time. And uh, I feel like there is something about just keeping going in the midst of difficult situations and our response, uh, which will really help us. And part of this lifting a sacrifice of praise in the midst of trying and difficult circumstances is part of the key to getting out of the wretched prison, which is where we want to be, which is what we want to do. So there we go. I've set the scene and probably used up all my time. But Romans 5, verses 3 to 5 says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And John's had a dose of that this morning, right the way through worship. You know, it is just so, so lovely to get into the presence of God. It doesn't matter how bad things are going, when his presence starts to come, suddenly you begin to see things a little bit more clearly. And it is just wonderful to be in there. But this is an interesting scripture, okay, because it says we can rejoice when we run into problems. I haven't quite got to that point yet. I will confess I do not rejoice in my problems. Uh, Clearly, Paul had got to that place because he'd understood the mechanism that was going on and actually what came out of it because he knew that when a problem came, actually there was a a victory. Every problem, as we discovered um, that, Uh, In Japan, when the tsunami struck, the the, the Japanese word for crisis is the same word for opportunity. It's exactly the same word that they use for crisis and opportunity. Because in every crisis, there is an opportunity for victory. There is an opportunity to grow. There is an opportunity to be strengthened. And when we learn that, and that we learn that why some of these things are happening, that actually the Lord loves us dearly and is wanting us to grow and be strengthened. He doesn't want us to be attacked and beaten down and weak and just totally on the defensive. He wants us to be strong sons and daughters who can just, when things come along, are not phased, are not uh, kind of knocked sideways by every little thing that happens. So endurance, when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. That is the place that we are going to in this, okay? It's about developing endurance. What does endurance mean? I mean, we, we use it, don't we? Mainly in athletics or some kind of... 
um, sort of race or Ironman competition or Tough Mudder that Jono's done, where you have to kind of get through some things. So this is the definition of endurance, because it doesn't just mean kind of hanging it out. What it means is the fact or power of enduring or bearing pain and hardships, the ability or strength to continue or last, especially despite fatigue, stress, other adverse conditions, stamina. He has amazing physical endurance. Lasting quality, duration, his friendships have little endurance. Uh, Something endured as a hardship or trial. And it is, it's actually when things are adverse, it's when things are difficult, it's when things are challenging, endurance is what takes you through the thing. And, you know, it's, it's very tempting in church and, you know, particularly in the lighthouse where we have been preaching, we have been declaring about the kingdom coming. You know, we, we, we have a firm belief that we as Christians are to bring the kingdom about on earth. You know, as Jesus told his disciples to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you know, on our patch. Okay, let your will be done on earth. Let your kingdom come on earth. Um, and so we know, we've looked, we know heaven is like from what the word says and the place where God dwells. We know that there is no more crying, there are no more tears, there are no more pain. And we have a very strong suspicion that there is no sickness up there in the presence of God, that there is no debt up there in the presence of God. And so we are called to pray, let your kingdom come. And you know, we have that with Jesus. He went about, it talks about in Acts 10.38, it says he went about um, healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil and doing good. You know, that is what he did. He went about the land reversing what the devil had done. So if he found a sick person, he'd heal them. If he found a prematurely dead person, he'd raise them to life. If he found a load of people who were hungry, he would feed them. If he found a storm that was threatening people's lives, he would calm it. And we know that that's his character. Okay, we've, we've mentioned that before. As Bill Johnson says, Jesus is perfect theology. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, so you, to know what the Father is like in heaven, you've only got to look at Jesus. And look at the stories, look at what he did as he went around. He never blessed a storm. He never gave anyone a sickness. He never punished anyone. He didn't. Okay? He only ever blessed. He only ever took away suffering. He only ever took away sickness. And so we can believe that that is the heart of our Father. Okay? For us not to suffer. And therefore... We stick with it. But meanwhile, here on planet Earth, stuff is still tough. And you, we get these things where we get locked in these prisons. And we're on a little bit of a battle. And so what is going on through it all? And I believe what the Lord is doing in us at the moment is helping us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, it says. Character. Now... This is partly received from a word that Bill brought the week before last. And I make no apologies because it just spoke right into my situation. And I thought, yeah, let's pass this on. This is good. I mean, slightly adapted, Phil Reed, um, paraphrase of, of it all. But basically, when you face troubles, you pray, don't you? You pray to God and you say, Lord, help me in this situation. I have this need. Blah, blah, blah. And faith will get you an answer. Because it says that the promises of God are inherited through faith and patience. Okay, so faith appropriates that answer. As we pray, we believe that God wants to help us and will do so. And so faith will get you the answer. But faith and endurance will get you the answer and the strength of character to steward the answer when it comes. 
Okay? That is what is going on at the moment. That's why some of these things are tarrying. That's why they're lingering. Why it just seems to be a prolonged kind of thing that we're going through. And I've been learning a a lot of lessons about endurance just recently. And so that's why I believe I have to bring it through uh, this morning. The... There's an interesting story in Mark 6, 45, uh, where Jesus is um, taking, uh, he'd been over to one side of the lake and he'd been preaching and, and uh, he'd asked his disciples to feed some 10,000 people, I kind of discovered. There was five, it said 5,000 men and their families, okay, so I don't know how many women and children there were, but a lot of people anyway, and his disciples had fed them miraculously, and then, they, and then what he did was he said, right, send the people home. This is in Mark 6.45, the account that's written in there. He, he said, send the people home and you guys go off in the boat and I'll go up into the mountains and pray. And, and so they do it. They kind of send everyone home and off they go. And, after, and this, I'll take up the account from the, from the scripture. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, it always happens late at night, doesn't it? That's when everything kind of seems the worst. If you're worrying about anything, it's when it gets dark that things seem to get bigger than they actually are. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land, and he saw that they were in serious trouble. Rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves, and about three o'clock in the morning... Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. Now, this is the bit that gets me. I don't know if you're following along in your Bible, but mine says he intended to go past them. And I'm thinking, like, you know, so often, bear in mind there was an account in Mark 4 where Jesus had been in the boat with them fast asleep in the back of the boat as they were fighting for their lives. And he kind of wakes up and says, peace be still. Out of the peace that was within him, he imparted it to the circumstances around him. And the storm stopped. Okay, So here we are again, Mark 6, two chapters later, and they're in the same situation. And Jesus comes walking to them across the water, fully intending to just walk straight past them. It feels like that sometimes. It really does feel like that, that, you know, his presence is there. He is coming and he's just coming to have a quick look at us and then move on. Everything in us wants him to get in the boat and sort the situation out. But actually, he sometimes has another thing that he wants to achieve in it. And this is something to do with the fact that He wants to co-mission with us. He has given us a commission, okay, which means he wants to do it with us. He sent us on a mission, but it's a co-mission. He wants us to do it with him. Not him do it for us all the time. And he wants us to learn. He wants us to draw from him, draw alongside and learn from him so that we can do the things that he did. And so, yes, he was intending to walk past and leave them to it. And as Bill said in his thing, he said, he just comes close enough to scare the living daylights out of you and then walks on. Uh, But on this occasion, they cry out and he comes and gets in the boat and immediately the wind and the waves calm down. So... And he says, take courage, I'm here. And he gets into the boat and the wind and the waves stop and they were totally amazed. But, you know, this whole endurance thing, this ability to cope with circumstances that come at us, the ability to keep our peace in any situation, regardless of what's happened, is so key to moving on. 
the Father is much more interested in the character of our hearts, the character that we develop as sons and daughters, than he is necessarily of just solving the problem. Because he can see in this, he's there with us. He's there this morning. It was just wonderful to come into the presence of God and just know he's there. And so we can trust that he's there with us. We can trust that he's got a plan for our lives. We can trust that he's got his hand upon us. And so whatever we face, we don't need to be overwhelmed by it, but can just receive the assurance. Now, he has got a solution for us because that's what he did. Let's go back to what he did. When there was a storm, he calmed it. When there's a sick person, he healed them. When there was a, a leper, he cleansed them. You know, he did. We know the blueprint. The general pattern is for heaven to come on earth and to demonstrate the glory of God. That is like the Father's heart. He wants us to go through these things, but he wants us to do it with him. Okay, good. So faith brings the answers, and we are in the uh, risk and faith month, so I'm doing courtesy to mention faith in it all, because without faith it is impossible to please God. That's what the Bible says. And it is faith by which we receive our answers. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it says in Hebrews, doesn't it? It's the thing that takes an idle hope. Oh, I hope it'll, uh, you know, turn out nice or this will happen or we'll get better. Faith says it's happened already. I've received it. I've got it. It's the assurance. It's the down payment of things that are expected to come. So that's what faith is. And I, I, I think we've heard a lot about faith and belief and expectation you know, I, I've often said faith is, is like a little equation. Faith equals belief plus expectation. Because you can believe something. You can believe, for example, you know, that God wants to heal. You can believe that God can heal. But the question is, do you believe that that person will get healed when you lay your hands on them? That's, that's the difference where it, you can believe in something without necessarily having the expectation that it's going to happen. And part of what he is doing, he gives us his word to change the way we think so that we can begin to transform the way we think to get, bring our experience in line with his word. Okay, Rather than trying to interpret the word and to make it explain why our experience is our experience, we actually go the other way around and say our experience is wrong. His word says these signs shall follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what the word says. And therefore, the word must be true. And therefore, we align ourselves with it. Okay? So that is faith. And I believe we have it. I believe we have faith. We believe that God wants to heal. We believe God can heal. He wants to do it through us. We believe that there is a healing well in this land that is going to spring up because his prophets have come and declared it on many an occasion. So, job done. The faith is there. But what he wants for us in it, in the process of going through, is for us to develop the strength of character that will be able to steward the result that comes. You know, I, I still firmly believe that God wants to do something in this land. He wants to do something in this place, this kind of exact geographical location, in terms of redigging wells that were dug uh, by previous generations. He wants to do something in our region. He wants to do something in our nation. And he wants to do something globally across the face of the earth in terms of seeing the world turn to him and be restored into relationship with him. We believe it. We believe in revival. Call it that. It's where people's eyes get opened and they can see the truth and they get restored into relationship with their loving father. But when that happens, when it happens and suddenly a lot of people come into the kingdom all at once, when the presence of God comes and our joy is made complete and we're filled with the Holy Spirit again and we see the kingdom break out, our hearts may begin to swell a little. 
And some of the lessons that have been learned from previous moves of God that have gone on, uh, even, uh, for example, the last one that happened 20 years ago uh, in and around Toronto and uh, all the, the Holy Spirit getting poured out there, there were some things that you know, weren't so good that came out of it because people's hearts weren't made whole. They weren't secure. They hadn't developed the strength of character to steward what was happening. They were very delighted and they enjoyed it. But some people fell, some people got into trouble, some people uh, just fell away from the faith completely. Things happened. And God wants us to see a move of God in this area, but to have the strength of character to run with it, to serve with it, to steward it well, and to receive it, and to be a legacy that is left in the land for the following generations. He doesn't want it to be just a one-off thing, that where it comes and then is gone. He wants it to be a lasting legacy. And therefore, he wants strength of character in us. So, James 1. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. You know, endurance comes up all over the place. I've been learning a little bit about endurance, which I think is helpful Helpful in the situation because whenever you're facing difficult situations, the temptation is to just give up. I mean, sometimes you don't have the option to give up. There's nowhere else to go. Uh, But the temptation is always there to give. Now, of late, some of you who are of the Facebook family of friends will have noticed I've been doing a little bit of running around and I've been teaching myself to run after my dear wife blazed the trail and I kind of went round running after her one time with my tongue hanging out, thinking, how on earth is she doing this? I thought, right, we're going to do this. And so I kind of set myself to do it. Okay, It was something I just decided around about the time we came back from Toronto in um, January. Um, And it's been a very interesting process for me personally because... I've, you know, running is one of those things that I've always told myself I can't do. Always. I I think when I was like um, 20 something, just kind of recently married, I I had in my mind that I would have a go at the Brighton Marathon, half marathon, I think it was. It wasn't even a marathon. Uh, And it's very, very hilly in Brighton. It is like, not like around here, that's kind of very gentle. Hilly, and I thought, yeah, I can do this. You know, I was playing a lot of squash at the time, and so I was reasonably fit generally. Uh, but I started running and like hurt my knees very badly, very quickly, <laughs> and couldn't run for a long time. And so I told myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. So there was a mindset in there. And then all of a sudden, I went out on this time with Heather, and we kind of jogged around um, Wareham, and I thought, actually, this is not so bad. I can, I can do this. It's a nice day. You know, things are happening. We weren't going too fast. So the first thing in developing endurance is to get the right mindset. It's actually to, you can do this, okay? And seriously, you can. The only thing that stops you doing things is your belief that you can't do it, quite often. Wendy's a great example there. She might, she'd be doing great doing stuff with her health drive and walking 18 miles. That's a blooming long way. That is huge. And probably, if you'd have asked her like two or three years back whether you were going to do that, you'd have laughed, wouldn't you? Uh, but she had a change of mind. She decided, I can do this, and began to do it. So you need to change your mindset. With endurance... With developing endurance and with running, the only way that you can actually develop it is to go a little bit beyond what you want to do. Let me say, whilst I have found this running malarkey to be reasonably okay to do, it is not like eating chocolate cake. It is, it is never like that, okay? You never think, oh, yeah, I get to run. I get to do, you know. Actually, when I first get out in the... Now, some people are like that, and they're a bit kind of... 
All right, there's some people with a slight kind of screw that's come loose somewhere um, and actually enjoy the pain of it. Um, But actually, it's kind of reasonably hard work. And quite often when you set off, you don't really want to do it. But if you alter that mindset and say, actually, let's just do this. Let's just do it. Let's just set off. Let's begin. Let's overcome that first hurdle. Let's not fall at the first fence, but let's just go for it. And to begin doing it, you're halfway there. You're halfway there already. I have discovered the primary rule is don't set off too quickly because it will end up in tears. And if you actually want, endurance is about lasting a long time. And if you set off really slowly, you can speed up. It's about pacing yourself. It's about doing the right thing. It's about starting with like half a mile or something, okay, to start with, and then maybe going to a mile or something, and, and just kind of doing it gently, and you'll be surprised what you can achieve. You will be surprised, and I think it is like this in our faith. Sometimes we try, we, our minds are, are like kind of geared for this sort of get-rich-quick scenario, this instant gratification, okay, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this week or something, you know, It's not the right way. It's not the right way. You've got to pace yourself. You've got to take it gently and build in it and actually change the whole way you think in it. And I found on these little runs is you don't like think of the end destination all of the time because sometimes it's quite a long way off when you start and it can be discouraging. So you just look at the little bit in front of you and you say, Right, if I can just make it to that gate over there, I'll review the situation and see whether I ever walk or not. And then when you get to the gate, you think, well, if I can just make it to that stile over there, I'll keep going. And and each time you just go a little bit further than you would naturally like. And I think, you know, I recognise this. We've been through some challenges in the last few weeks and months and whatever. And you get to the point and you think, I can't do this anymore. I, seriously, God, are you hearing me? I can't do this anymore. And he says to you, just try one more time. Just one more time. Just pray, praise me anyway and see whether it works out okay. You know. And each time you get to somewhere, if you look at the whole journey, the whole destination, you get discouraged. You think, you think I can't do it. I can't do it. But if you keep looking at each step and say, well, I can do that. I can do that. I can just do this little bit, you know. And bit by bit, you eat the journey up. And suddenly, before you know what's happening, you've actually achieved quite a lot. And you've gone quite a long way. And I think this is what he's saying to us now. Don't be discouraged because you haven't reached your end destination our end goal of seeing that dream fulfilled, whether it is cancellation of debt, whether it is healing of a a chronic illness, or whatever it is, don't be discouraged that it hasn't happened. Just do the next little bit. Just keep opening your heart up to him. Don't harden your hearts in the process But just come again. Just say, if I can just make it to that style over there, I'll be able to go on a little bit further. The end destination remains sure because that's what the word of God says. He says, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. By his stripes we were healed, it says in Peter, doesn't it? And all of these different things, the, the Bible is quite clear and the demonstration of what Jesus did makes it very abundantly clear to me that his heart is to bring healing. Is, his heart is to reverse the works of the enemy. That's the end destination. But in the process, you've just got to keep going. Do the next bit, do the next bit, do the next bit. Keep repenting, keep turning your heart. Another thing in... Um, running as well, I've discovered that if you fail, don't give up. Okay, I, when I was preparing for this word, ironically, 
I thought, I'll go out for a run. I'm getting quite good at this now. I can, I'm up to about four or five miles, and I can, I can kind of merrily plod along and everything. And I tell you, I went out and felt absolutely dreadful. I lasted two miles, and I thought, man, in life, I'm going to have to walk. And I was saying, listen to your sermon, Phil. Listen to your sermon. Just go to the next thing. And then things started hurting, and uh, my hips started hurting, and my knees started hurting, and, uh, you know, there was all sorts of things going wrong. And now, in those situations, the temptation sometimes is just give up completely. doesn't work. Say you're on a diet or something, and you've been very disciplined, and you've done the thing, but then you kind of blow it or whatever, and you think, oh, well, chuck it out. Chuck it out the window. We'll just go back to how we were. No. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself down and carry on with it the next day. It's a, you're in it for the long haul. It's not an instant thing that we are doing. Endurance brings strength of character. And the strength of character that we need are to be the people that will stay in for the long haul. That will just keep going. doesn't matter what the enemy wants to throw at us. To test us because we have him who is with us. He is alongside us. I saw a wonderful cartoon the other day, which said, you know, that little poem about footsteps. And he says, and, and uh, Jesus is with the person and says, where you see the steps, the little indents in the sand, that's where I walked with you and carry you. And you see that long streak over there. That is where I dragged you, kicking and screaming. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting take on that little journey. But he is with us. He is with us. And his heart is for us to succeed. His heart is for us to prosper. His heart is for us to step into our dreams, to realize our dreams. He wants that more than we do, even. But he wants to take us on a journey. And he wants us to have that strength of character So that when something does begin to really take off and really happen, he can trust us to go with it. So what does this mean for us? Where are we? Five past twelve? We're doing okay. Let's see what's on the other side. The important thing within also running is to make sure you take rest days within it. You know, sometimes you can think, I need to make this happen and I want it to happen now, you know. So you push yourself a bit too much. And your joints begin to sort of complain a little bit from doing too much. And so you do need to pace yourself and make sure you're working from a place of rest. And this is so important in the journey that we're on. You know, it's, we're facing some challenging situations. The whole mechanism, you think about meeting for church in here, it's hard work. It is actually hard work. A lot of people, you know, generally on the the planning centre, there's around about 40 volunteers, I think, every week to put just one meeting on. And there's a percentage of the people here. That's a lot. And people are in here. People were in here at like 8 o'clock this morning, putting all those desks away, getting the place hoovered and the PA set up and all of that. And we need to to be, have that strength of character that will just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. So that as the Lord begins to bless us, we have got that foundation that we're building on. Where family works together, family looks after each other, family uh, just has strong relationships that can really support one another through the process where one will serve another. You know, and I think this is an, this is an important part. Um, so, so what is the character that he is looking for, this strength of character? And I think Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. They're fruits which describe the character which God wants to bring out of us. You know, love... Joy and peace. Those are the fruits that need to come out of us. Quite often, it's in my case, it's quite the opposite. You know, if I'm going through a difficult time, I'm grumpy, I am miserable, and I'm anxious. You know, because there's things pressing in. But the fruit that he wants out of us from knowing that he's alongside us is love, joy, and peace, and patience. You know, when I said, actually, that the promises of God are inherited through faith 
and patience, we quote that often. Actually, in my Bible, it says faith and endurance. Faith and endurance. And endurance is that thing which will just go through the pain. And some of these things that we do can be a little bit painful. But the ones who are developing that endurance will say, I'll come anyway. I'll do it. I know. I'm bored of this. I'm, I don't want to really want to do this. This is not kind of you know, floating my boat anymore, doing this volunteering basis or whatever. But for the sake of the family, I will do it. I will do it. I will serve that person. I'll go and make those teas and coffees. I will do it. And in doing it, we're bringing worship to the Lord. You know, it is a, It's a sacrifice of praise that we are offering as we serve one another. And so we need to keep on going. Just keep on going with those things and have that patience. Kindness and goodness, we need to let that overflow amongst us. Um, Hebrews 10 23 says, let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another. That's an interesting activity. Is that something that you do on a Sunday afternoon? Let's have a sit down and let's have a think. How could we motivate one another? How could we encourage one another? How could I begin to encourage you know, someone who is going through a little bit of a, a difficult time? Let us motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. It's always on the next page a bit, isn't it? But let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing nearer. And I think it is drawing nearer. It's starting to get quite close, I think. It's feeling like quite exciting. Let us not neglect the meeting together. You know... One of the things that I've, um, I feel is like sometimes there can be like a slight indifference as to whether we go to church or we don't go to church, whether we kind of do. And it's, you know, all things are good. We can meet with God wherever we are. But there is something to do with the congregational gathering of God's people, which is very precious. You know, even this morning, getting together to worship, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and just fill us up. There's things that happen in a corporate place that don't happen when we just like get alone and worship God by ourselves. It really is important. The Bible wouldn't say don't neglect gathering yourselves together if it didn't if it wasn't important, okay? It is important. And I, I'd really like to stress it and you know, it's it's a little bit like a, a, a big Sunday lunch or whatever that we're sort of putting on. And as I said, there's 40 people involved in preparing that meal. It's just like they're kind of working hard. Some of them getting here early. Some of them are working in the week trying to work out what the kids are going to do and uh, try and really get the word of God across to them and all of that sort of stuff. And there's a, like a lot of preparation goes into it. The finest roast beef has been brought in. The Yorkshire pittings have been whipped up and put in the oven. And lovely food has been prepared. And then if we say, oh, well, I don't think I'll bother today. You know, it, it's uh, kind of the sun shining or whatever. Let's, let, no, I don't, I don't want to get under a spirit of legalism or whatever. But within family, when people are really putting things together like that, it's honouring, isn't it? to just come along and enjoy that meal that they've put on. I think it's, it's just something that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds. Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of the faith. Interesting, isn't it? Especially those in the family of the faith. We might have thought we should do kind of acts of random kindness to those outside the family of the faith, outside the church. But actually, the Bible exhorts us to bless one another, to serve one another, do kind acts. And we should not give up. We should not get tired of doing what is good. 
Hebrews 6.11, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going on to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. That's where that scripture comes from. I think that's quite interesting as well. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. I recognize this in myself sometimes, you know. I, I can kind of take my eye off the ball a little bit and suddenly I feel, yeah, I've become a bit dull and indifferent. And, um, you know, I, I've, I really want to be passionate about God. I really want to be passionate about God and I want to have that uh, excitement in my heart about it but I've actually become a bit dull and indifferent well maybe we need to just have a look are we still loving others are we still gathering together are we still serving one another are we still making meals for one another as we go through our big uh, testing times you know and it seems like there's another one every week isn't there that comes out can you make a meal for someone else and Bless Dave and Sue who organise all of that stuff. We just honour you guys for doing that. Um, But it's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to do. And if each one does one, then you don't end up with 10 doing 20. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a great thing to do. And on the other end of it, if you receive those things, you know, in your heart, just give a bit of love back, you know? Say thank you to the people that have done it and, or send them a card or write them a little note or prophesy over them. It doesn't have to be something that costs a lot or takes a lot of time, but you can do something very proactive to show love and appreciation for one another. But above, above all, within it all, as we learn endurance, as we develop strength of character, Just keep being faithful. Keep coming into the presence of God. Keep believing in him. Keep dreaming big, as our declaration says, even though everything else is seemingly pressed and difficult and challenging. Keep on dreaming. Amen. I think I'll finish there because it's quarter past.